Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my 
Stop working, waymaker, 
worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. Praise to 
Today we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Plain. I put Sermon on the Mount. It goes in hand in hand. The Sermon on the Plain goes hand in hand with the Sermon on the Mount. If you look up Jesus' most famous sermon, you're going to find people are going to say Sermon on the Mount is going to pop up. You're going to see that. And I, I believe Jesus preached his sermons more than once. And so you see different variations of sermons throughout the gospel accounts. I believe the Sermon on the Plain is kind of a, a variation on the Sermon on the Mount. You see a lot of the same things taught in it, a little bit different, and it's a lot shorter. But um, this is one of those amazing sermons. And, and we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount um, this, these sermons answer the very important question of what does it mean to, to live the Christian life? What does it look like to live the Christian life? There are three or four places, classic places to go to in the Bible for those answers to get a picture of what it looks like or what it means to actually live as a Christian in this world, and, and this is one of them. So I, I'm excited about going through this. This is where I, I say the rubber meets the road. And uh, it's really good. It's interesting that both of these are associated with um, a mountain. In Matthew's account, that's where the Sermon on the Mount is. Matthew 5 through 7, you should, you should know that. You should know that sermon. You should read it and, and have a good handle on it. But uh, in that account, Jesus goes up the mountain and preaches from there. In this Luke's account, he spent the night praying up on top of the mountain, praying to God. He's just picked the 12 apostles. There were many disciples that followed him, but he picks his inner circle, the, the 12 that would be apostles. And then he comes down and preaches to this large crowd that's there. The interesting thing uh, is that I found in history, oftentimes revolutions kind of started in the mountains, they say. Revolutions kind of start in the mountains. That's where the revolutionaries are. That's where the leaders often were because they were kind of hiding out. When they were looking to start a revolution, they had to hide out. And so oftentimes they would do this in the mountains. In Europe, you saw the revolutionaries hide out in the, the northern part of Wales in the mountains. And they sought to bring that, that Welsh kingdom and break the rule of the English. You see that in, in a lot of places. Uh, it was a place there you could get away and plan and then come down and set that revolution to start. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's bringing a revolution. He's a subversive. In this sermon, he's talking about his new kingdom, and um, he's bringing it to replace the old one, the old kingdom. A lot of other revolutionaries, they were just trying to bring some changes, certain changes, kind of steer it a little bit differently. They wanted to rework the old kingdom, but Jesus is about a 180-degree change from the old kingdom. It's radical. It's totally different. I mean, you can't get more different. It's not like, you know, just this is the direction you're heading and you just got to steer off and make a little bit of a change. No, it's like this is the direction you're heading and then if you want to be a part of Christ's kingdom, you got to start heading the exact opposite way. And I can't wait to share it with you over the next few weeks. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? We're going to dig into this. Luke 6, beginning at verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him, and he 
he was healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you. Your name is evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how they treated their ancestors, their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Father, speak to us today. Lord, we want to hear you. We want to hear what you'd have for us. Holy Spirit, you have right of way. Speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft, our eyes and ears would be open to hear from you. Father, challenge us. Show us the kingdoms, Lord, and let us all make that decision. A decision to to follow your kingdom, Lord, and to be a part of it. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> In this passage, we see two kingdoms. What, what is a kingdom? In this sense, a kingdom has uh, three things. The first thing is a, a kingdom has a set of values, a pattern of values. You see this in sports. You see this in sports, especially when there's a new head coach that comes on the scene. Each coach coming in wants to instill a set of values, a pattern of values. Oftentimes you'll hear about this coach who comes in and the mindset they bring. You know, maybe they're going to say, hey, we are going to be a physical team. We are going to be known for that, right? We're, we're not going to stop until the whistle blows. That's the attitude that we're going to have. That's the values that we're going to have on this team. And um, so in a similar sense, a kingdom has a pattern of values across it. Number two, it not only has a, a pattern of values, but it also has the power to implement those values, which leads to number three is that there has to be a product, something that this kingdom produces. So new coach comes in, explains their program, right? Bears have a new coach. I'm excited about that because I'm tired of losing seasons and, and everything. So I'm excited and they're doing well. They beat the Browns last night. That was great, even though it was just preseason, but I just wanted to rub that in. <laughs> they could just beat Green Bay. I'd be happy. All right. But a coach puts into place those values and the question becomes, is the team going to buy into it? Are they going to buy into it? Are they going to produce it. Jesus in this passage in verses 20 to 23 is showing what his kingdom's about, the kingdom of God. In verses 24 through 26, he shows what the kingdom he's replacing is all about. In life for us, there are really only two kingdoms that we can be a part of. And we need to realize that we either belong to one or we belong to the other. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1.3. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You are either in the kingdom of darkness 
or you are in the kingdom of God. You belong to one of those kingdoms. Here's the other thing. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In a place of history and that type of thought, my friends, we're at dawn. We're, we're at dawn. The day is at hand, which means the light has come. The light is coming, and the night is nearly over. They're both happening, though. They're both happening right now. And what Paul says is, hey, you've got to put aside the deeds of the old kingdom, your old way of life, and take up the new. Not only are there two kingdoms, right, that you can be a part of, but we all know, too, that you can claim to be a part of God's kingdom and yet still have the deeds that you're performing from that kingdom of darkness. That can't be us, though. That's just a a bad witness to who Christ is and, and what he's done. We've got to throw that off. So there are two kingdoms. Choose one to belong to, and not only choose one to belong to, but take on the patterns that it talks about. It's a way of doing things. Don't play games, right? Too many followers of Christ. I spent, I spent decades sitting in churches saying I was a part of one kingdom, living in though as I was a part of the other kingdom. Quit playing games, right? Don't say you're a part of the one and live under the patterns of the others. I titled this Upside Down, and that describes, in essence, the kingdom of God. It's upside down. And the kingdom that it's replacing, we're going to call that the right-side-up kingdom. What are we talking upside down and and right-side-up? Every kingdom has values at its top and at its bottom, right? The ones at the top are the priorities. That was what those kingdoms are about. And those are the things that it encourages. The, the values at the bottom, they're not important. These, these priorities are far more important than these priorities. And in fact, you can avoid the ones at the bottom. Again, the right side up kingdom is described in verses 24 through 26. What do you see in this kingdom at the top? Well, it's power, comfort, success, and recognition. Woe to you who are rich, right? The the rich are the powerful. Woe to you who are well-fed. That has to do with being materially comfort, having that comfort. Woe to you who laugh. Laughing is normally a good thing, but the Greek scholars say that this word really refers more to a gloating. I won, they lost, I'm better than you, ha, 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 right? And lastly, you have woe to you that speak well of you. That's recognition or that's celebrity. Very important in our world today. These are the values of the right-side-up kingdom, the one that Christ has come to overthrow. When you get that, when you understand that, you, you finally understand why the world hates Jesus Christ. Right? Have you ever thought about that? You read about Jesus. He's a pretty darn good guy. There's not a lot to hate or not like about them. In fact, I've asked non-Christians, what don't you like about Christ? And they usually don't have anything to say, but here it is. This is why it's okay to say God, right? It's okay to believe in God, but when you start mentioning Jesus Christ, people start going nuts about that, and that's because he's, he's come to overcome this old kingdom. He's, he's come to overthrow it. 
And that hits home with a lot of people, right? This is the old kingdom. This is the United States today. This is what we're all about, power, money, success, being comfortable, being a celebrity. Look at me, right? And that's what he's come to do away with. What about his kingdom, though? Said 20 through 23, it's the poor. It's about being poor. It's about being hungry. It's those weeping, those hated, those excluded. It values everything weak. It's everything that we try to steer clear of in America today, right? But that's the value on top. That's why people call this the upside-down kingdom. It's not the things that we normally value. It would be the things that we'd normally have on the bottom, but Jesus flips that upside down, right? This is what our culture teaches us to strive for. All the things that God's kingdom is, is not about. Go for power. Go for comfort, success. Avoid those weaknesses, Right? Avoid that exclusion. Avoid sacrificing. The attractive thing about the right side up kingdom, the old kingdom, is that when you go for these things, right, they pay off. They pay off right now. We all can't do anything about our past. And we all know that looking ahead to the future, who knows what's going to happen in the future, right? I don't know about you, but things just get crazier and crazier. So all that a lot of people have is the right now. And that's where this kingdom really shines. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for right now. That's the mentality of our culture today. This kingdom gives you results. And if the now is the only thing you have, this kingdom is really attractive. This, this kingdom makes sense to you. This whole Christian, bless the poor, the meek, the persecuted, do good to those that hate you, forgive those that trespass against you, right? If you don't know Christ, that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel right. It's not attractive in the now. So no thank you, right? That's why people reject this kingdom. It's backwards, it's upside down to everything that we know. The problem with the right-side-up kingdom, though, the now kingdom, is that it never lasts. It just doesn't last. It's temporary, and it leaves you feeling empty. That's its end game, emptiness. We all know this. You can build your life on beauty, right? You can build your life on beauty. You can make it everything you're about, but it's going to fade. One day it will fade. You can lift weights and build your life on that and that image that comes from it, but in time it will go away. You can even build your life around people that you love, but they're going to die. You can build your life on records, but you'll see those records be broken. And what happens when nobody's talking about you anymore? It's emptiness. It's all emptiness when we focus on, on the kingdom of the now, the right-side-up kingdom. It all crumbles. It all rusts. We live with an eternal soul, right? 
And, and if your ultimate value is this world, then that full stomach that you have one day will be empty in the future. Nothing in this world can satisfy us for long. That's why you chase after things, and when you get those things, the shine wears off, and then you need to have something else. And then you chase after that thing, and the shine wears off that, and then you need to have something else. Well, how do we know what Jesus is calling us to, this upside-down kingdom is the way to go? How do we know that we should go after that? Why should I value tears? and sacrifice or, or weakness. There's this commentary that I read on this chapter. Do you remember how this chapter described Jesus coming down from the mountain? Do you remember what it said? It's only one verse. There's a, a large crowd of disciples and a great number of people coming from all over. And verse 19 says, And all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Did you picture that as we were reading it the first time? Could you imagine this Jesus coming down and there's just power emanating from him. And, and if you can just only get close enough, no matter what you're dealing with, right, you could get healed. The commentator said that there was this, that, that, um, there was this large crowd, people being healed, people being set free, and, and the power was just coming on him. And he compared it to, to the, the handwriting on the wall in Daniel 5. I don't know if you've ever read that, but there's this king named Belshazzar, the last king of the Babylonian Empire before they would get conquered. He was the king after, after Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus, king of Persia, is closing in on this city, and King Belshazzar knows that he could not beat this king, this Persian king that's coming. So what's he do? He throws a party, right? Might as well enjoy it while you can. They start drinking, they start partying, him and everyone there, and then something happens. Do you remember? All of a sudden, a hand appears and starts to write in the plaster of the wall. This, this terrifies him, right? And so he, he, he asks everybody and tries to get somebody to, that can tell him what was written on this wall, and eventually he finds Daniel, and Daniel interprets from it, it for him, and he says, basically, this is what it is. The, the handwriting's on the wall, your days are numbered, and your reign is over. When Jesus showed up and began to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, feed the hungry, teach with authority, my friends, the handwriting was on the wall that this old kingdom is about to fall, that this old kingdom is over, this kingdom of darkness. If we are living for ourselves, that's where many of us stand. If we are living for ourselves, if we're spending all of our money on us, if we're not living like Jesus lived, and life's just all about having that party, the handwriting's on the wall. It's coming to an end, right? This old kingdom is about to fall. We feel that, don't we? Right now, we get a sense of that. Take a good look in the mirror. Am I living for me or am I living for him? Am I coming to church when I just feel like it? Am I giving a few coins to the poor people, right, just to feel good? Have I not put aside the deeds of darkness? This kingdom's about to fall. Handwriting's on the wall. 
Jesus came, set a pattern for us, lived a life touching lepers, giving himself to the poor, serving those around him, confronting hypocrisy in, in, with the religious, associating with those that nobody else would, right? He picked up the cross, submitted himself to the Father's will. He gave up everything. And here's the picture of this, right? He's coming in power, just radiating off of him, and the handwriting's on the wall for everyone that not, will not live according to his will. Unless you're living a life that's upside down from the ways of this world, your days are numbered. They're numbered. What's this upside down kingdom look like? Simply, it's a, a reversal of values. The things that the world looks as pitiable, those are the things that we prize. We're no longer controlled by the things of this world and what it values and what it honors. We're not controlled by comfort, for example. We won't let being uncomfortable stop us from following the will of God. Oh, I'm scared. I don't want to do that, right? If God calls us to this, though, and we're a part of his kingdom, we'll follow that no matter what. We don't have to have recognition when we do things for other people. I hate those stupid YouTube videos where people have big stacks of cash and they go give it to the poor. They don't care about the poor. They just want the recognition from it. These things don't drive us. You can take these things or leave these things when you're living for the upside-down kingdom. You got money, great. If you don't got money, it's okay. You got power, great. If you don't have power, it's okay. It doesn't make or break us. It's not what we live for. It's not what we strive for. There are a lot of young people who want to become influencers today. You can make a lot of money. There's a lot of fame making videos, playing video games and streaming that and doing all these things. There's a a lot of celebrity that comes from it. Let's say, though, that you have two women looking to do this, one from the right-side-up kingdom, one from the upside-down kingdom. That right-side-up kingdom woman will be encouraged to place success and money above everything else, above any other value. And if that's at the top, then she'll be encouraged to not worry about modesty or telling the truth or doing any of these things that she should be encouraged because that kingdom only recognizes power and celebrity first. Doesn't matter what you have to do, right? But a young lady that's part of the upside-down kingdom value system will be encouraged not to compromise herself, right? Not to act in an unmodest way. And if she finds success or she doesn't find success, it's okay because success is down here above those other things, living for Christ. It's a different set of values for us, totally different than what the world has. How many times do we see in the Olympics or sports when when somebody who values winning above all else, right, they compromise themselves and they take these performance-enhancing drugs and they end up getting kicked out, right? It's okay, though, because success is at the top. And no matter what you have to do, it's okay, That's what this kingdom teaches. How many companies value money and profits over people? Right? Who cares about the people as long as we've got the profits and the money coming in? 
The upside-down kingdom values people over, over that, though. That's what we want to be a part of. When you see a, a person who's under the influence of the old kingdom, then those things, power, success, comfort, they're on top. They're the most important things, and so you can not worry about those other values, those lower values. Put others first. That's the value of the upside-down kingdom. That's the value that Jesus lived out. That's the example he did, right? Justice. That's a value of the upside-down kingdom. That's what we should be about. We should stand against injustice, right? I remember learning about abolitionists and, and people in the church, and there were these preachers that started to speak up against slavery. And there were some people in the church said, don't bring that in here, right? Politics doesn't belong in church. And so some of them quit speaking about that, but there's some that kept going. The upside-down kingdom values justice for all, right? That's what we should be a part of no matter what, no matter what the consequences are. Those abolitionists were a lot of times heckled. They had food that was thrown at them while they were preaching. We do the right thing. We don't value what people think. We don't value celebrity over doing the right thing. We're not a part of that old kingdom. When you get this, one of the best parts of the upside-down kingdom is the fact that you just find freedom. You don't have to worry about what people say, right? You only worry about what God thinks and what God says. You don't have to value things like power and celebrity and comfort. It's freedom from the rat race. Aren't you tired of trying to keep up with everybody? Having to have a, a nice house like, like everything that you see on, on TV. You can find freedom from all that. Now, how do you actually live this way, though? Because it's hard, right? It's hard not to, bow, not to value power and fame and money, right? Those are attractive things. How do, you, how do you find freedom for that? Well, you see this in the answer in the, the paradoxes of this passage. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. The, the word blessed there means deeply satisfied. Jesus says a Christian can be somebody who weeps and yet is still blessed. You tend to weep at loss, right? So in the old kingdom, you lose your success or you lose your position. You're going to weep, but you can't be blessed at the same time because you're going to be lacking those things. They don't go hand in hand. To, to lose someone that you love, right? You can't be you can't find any blessings from that. In the upside-down kingdom, though, you lose somebody that you love that knows Christ, you can still be blessed because you know where they're at. You know who they're with right now. You know that you'll be able to see them again one day and spend eternity with them. In the upside-down kingdom, your happiness is not tied to your circumstances. They're not tied to the right now. Right now, all you have is the old kingdom. In the upside-down kingdom, you actually have right now, but you also have a future to look forward to. Verse 23, be glad in that day, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Some people will look at this verse and say, oh, this is what I hate about Christianity. It's the opium of the people. See, great is your reward in heaven, so I'm supposed to trust you and just 
accept my lot in life because someday later on I'll have the pie in the sky, right? It's not all future here, though. There is no future tense here. What it says is rejoice in that day. Well, what's that day? Not talking about judgment day, not talking about the future. Talking about in the day that you're excluded. We're talking about referring back to verse 22. And the day that you're insulted, you can rejoice right then and now. Well, how can you rejoice in that day? Well, because great is your reward in heaven. Not great will be your reward in heaven. Great right now is your reward in heaven. Colossians 3.1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's a peace now. There's a joy now. There's a blessing now. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is. We see an example of this played out in Acts chapter 7. Here's Stephen. He's just about to be stoned to death. He's just about to be executed in a very painful way. How is he going to handle that, right? With fear? No. How's he going to be handle, handle having to deal with this mob of people treating him wrongly? Will he hate them? No. Full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up to heaven and saw the glory of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he's able to say, I'm vindicated. I'm vindicated. I have nothing to prove, right? And it's all right here in the now for him. Set your mind not on the things of this world, but on the things above, the eternal things. My life is hid with God, right, in Christ. A Christian is somebody that says, I've, I've lost fame and recognition here. I'm rejected here, but I'm still a child of God, right? Because I'm looking up at heaven, and I know my place, and I know my Father, right? I can be unloved here. I can be made fun of here, but I know with my Father, I know with his son that I am loved. I know no matter what happens here, my eternity is secure right now. Not later. Right now. Right? It's exclusion. Yes, you rejected me. But it's leaping for joy because he hasn't when I look up at him. We're free We aren't controlled by the world's patterns. We're free. And when you get this, it flips your life upside down. When you truly get this. That's why people are able to speak out when they know they could be killed for it. You ever wonder how could they do that? How could they say that? And how they're not scared? Because their eternity is set. They're looking up to heaven right now. And they see that it's set. If I lose everything, right? I still have my standing in heaven. What's the worst that they can do? They can kill me. I still have my standing in heaven. This is not the opium of the people, as Karl Marx would say. This is a smelling salts of the people. This is what wakes us up to what's truly important. It's not power. It's not success. It's not comfort. Those things will drag you to hell. This wakes us up. Where do you get the power? Because it's, like I said, it's not easy. We have the ultimate example in Jesus Christ, right? 
Even though he's a king, he becomes poor. He comes and lives on this earth. He doesn't get upset by the people that when bad things happen to us. The thing, though, is he's not just an example. If he was just an example, he wouldn't be any help to us. In fact, it'd be, it'd be bad for us, right? If he was just an example, it'd be horrible because we would compare ourselves to him and without his strength to live out that life, we'd feel miserable because all we'd do would, would be fail. You mean I gotta, I gotta love my enemy? How did I do that on my own strength? There's no way, right? No way I'm loving my enemy on my own strength. So if he's just the example, he's no help. But we know he's far more than that. We know there's the gospel, right? In the gospel, we live by his reversal. You got to get this. We live by his reversal, right? He took my place. He took our place. He puts us where he deserves to be, right? Accepted, redeemed before the Father. And he places himself where we should be, on the cross. That's where we should be, right? We should be the ones that are cast out. We should be the ones that are rejected. But he takes that for us. He reversed everything with us. And that's where the power comes from. There's two ways to look at God. Number one, I have nothing of value. God owes me nothing. He would be perfectly correct to cut me off, to strike me down. I am completely dependent on what Jesus Christ did for me. That's one way to look at him. The other way is to look at God and say, I've lived a a fairly good life. God owes me something. He owes me a few things, actually. He at least owes me some comfort in this world. He should answer my prayers and heal me. He shouldn't let bad things happen to me. That's another way of looking at it. The first one is being poor in spirit. The second is being middle class in spirit, if you will. Middle class is, in spirit is simply the right side up kingdom. I've worked. I've done good things. I've helped people. I've done my duty. I've come to church, you know. God owes me something. I shouldn't get sick. I shouldn't have any money problems. He's supposed to protect me from all that. If that's you, then Jesus is just your example. But you don't see yourself as the one he switched places with before God Almighty. You miss the true gospel, and you won't have the transforming power and freedom that comes from it. You won't know you're standing in heaven. When you're, when you're certain of your standing in heaven because of what Jesus Christ did, right, you can live this life recklessly. Recklessly. You can speak out because, like I said, all they can do is kill you. You can live so generously that it puts you at financial risk. When you, when you tithe and you give to him the first portion, in a sense, you're, you're taking a financial risk, 
right? That's at least how it looks in a lot of people's eyes. No, you should pay everything, and then, you know, whatever you have left over, that, that's what you should give to God. That's financially responsible. But that's not the upside-down kingdom. We look at our standing in him, and we do what he calls us to do, no matter what happens. Money, it's nice to have. Comfort, it's nice to have. But we aren't controlled by these things anymore. It's bondage, if you are. And it keeps you from living free. I want to live recklessly because I'm poor in spirit, not middle class. He don't owe me nothing. And that's the truth. He don't owe me nothing. He's given me a gift that I can never repay. Let me warn you. When you become part of this kingdom, the upside-down kingdom, the world will hate you. The world will come against you because you've left their kingdom and you're a traitor now because you're a part of his kingdom, the new kingdom. There will be trials and tribulations, but remember this. Where do you grow, right? That's what we talked about in Sunday school. When do people come to Christ? It's usually in the storm, right? When do you grow? It's usually in the storm when you have to live by faith, when you have to exercise that muscle of faith. People usually don't come when everything's comfortable and going great. You don't need God then, right? They come in the storm when they have nothing left to cling to. When you're empty, the kingdom of God is near. When you are weeping, God is close to the broken hearted. In this kingdom, everything is reversed. Strength is a weakness because we don't depend on God. But in weakness, we find a, a strength far greater than our own, far greater than we have ever known. And we can live recklessly with our faith. I have to be careful with words like that, but I use that in an upside-down kingdom way. I don't mean irresponsible. When I say recklessly, I mean reckless as far as the world sees it as far as the world would understand it. They see how we live, and they say it's reckless. They see how Jesus loved, and they say it's reckless. Give your life for people that hate you? Reckless. Anyone that gives the kind of money away that, you should, that you're doing, you should be saving that for a rainy day? Reckless. Anyone that would tell the truth at the work at their work and risk getting fired? Reckless. Anyone that would go overseas to be a missionary to the Middle East? Reckless. In the world's eyes, in the right-side-up kingdom eyes, it's reckless. But in the upside-down kingdom, where I'm set, where I'm secure, when I look up at my Father in heaven and I know my place right, it's not reckless. It's the complete opposite of that. I've been secured, and I can live out of that. The pattern of the upside-down kingdom is a total reversal of your attitude towards the things that the world thinks is important. Power, comfort, success, recognition. Secondly, it's the power to live it that power comes from knowing that Christ 
reversed places with you. And you are secure in Him. Amen? Looking at His disciples, He said, Blessed are you who are poor. This is important spirit. This is poor, right? You, you know what the blessing is of being poor? You don't have any false notions that you're secure with your money or anything else or your power. You don't have any of that to get stripped away, right? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You're not going to be tripped up by that. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Are we evil in our society today? Those evil Christians? Yeah. Blessed are you when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. My friends, the handwriting's on the wall. This kingdom of darkness is coming to an end. It's getting clearer and clearer for that for me. I realize this day is done. Ask yourselves, which kingdom do you belong to? And then live out the patterns of that. Don't you dare try to live it out on your own strength, though. Allow God to change you. Work out of that place of freedom and security from knowing that he traded places with you, that he paid a great price for you, that he loves you no matter what this world says, no matter what this world thinks, you're secure in that. Am I living like Christ? I can only live like Christ when I realize he's taken my place and it's all grace. It's the only time. Would you stand with me? In a moment, we're going to have communion. You should only participate if you want to be a part of his kingdom. And pledge yourself to that. That's what it's for. We're going to take the bread and remember what he did for us, how he lived for us. And then we're going to take the the grape juice and remember the new covenant that we have with him. Pledge yourself to him. Follow him. Be free of this world and what it's about. Amen? Father, I thank you for today. Lord, we just give you praise for everything that you've done for us. Lord, if, like I said, if it was just the cross, what could somebody do better or more for us? Lord, I still don't get it. I don't get why you loved us this much to do this. But I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for your grace, Lord. And I give you my life. Call me whatever way you want me to do. Lord, give me a boldness. Give us all a boldness. Call us all, Lord. And when we're scared to step out and to stand or to speak, fill us with your spirit. Lord, give us that boldness that only comes from you. When the world comes against us, Lord, help us to look to you and our security in you. Father, don't let us take on this name of being a follower of Christ if we're just going to keep on living with the old deeds. Lord, change us. Don't let the enemy shame us, though, when we fall, 
Don't let the enemy think, oh, you, you say you're a Christian, but you're not. Look at the way you're living. Lord, don't let that play come into play. Father, again, help us to remember that we're secure in you and help us to live out of that. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen.